Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with trauma therapist and mindfulness ninja, Ruth Fearnow. She began her journey of learning meditation and mindfulness 21 years ago in Sholin, China, where she studied Kung Fu and Qigong. She continued her training and wisdom chasing ever since. Years later, she became a trauma therapist, a certified EMDR, a leading trauma therapy for PTSD. These two skills exposed her to a deep understanding as she watched how the human mind healed or resists healing. Her mindfulness practice and healing work and therapy synthesized into a process called therapeutic mindfulness. Enjoy this interview. Hi, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you today? I'm doing great. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you. (laughs) So before we get into your life as a mindfulness ninja, I want to know How did you survive COVID? How did you get through that three years now that the world's waking up? And how has it changed the way that you do things now? This must be good. I'm getting a feeling it's going to be a good answer. Oh, I know some people have the the thought that we're all having collective trauma. And and I don't want to downplay the trauma anyone else had and, and the great difficulties they had. But I had such a good year. I had such a good year. I don't want to rub it in anyone's face. I had a great year. Um, I just moved in with my husband, my true love. He's wonderful. Um, And it's interesting. He is a jazz musician. Oh, cool. And he got to stop doing late night bar gigs with some pals that want to do some pop stuff. He got to do a lot of composition. He got to do long range composition. He was part of deep tones for peace. Um, me, I'm a therapist. So I was, I just went to telehealth and yeah. I still do telehealth like this. I do therapy this way. And, um, you know, some people had a really hard time, but some people found it, enlightening in a lot of ways some people it forced them to slow down and take stock and check their priorities and delve into spirituality or gratitude so i know there's some negatives but there were some positives too i think so i think there's a level right now when you do say that there were silver linings there's like almost like a buyer's remorse because no one's downplaying the 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 fact that it was a pandemic but at the same time everybody had a choice on how you were going to deal with this time period so yeah. at the end of the day, all you're doing is heralding what your choice was. And that's that's totally fine. Just to clear up a little confusion, I know it's confusing on the platform we're on, but I have both the jazz and I do my other segment, which is famous interviews, which is the logo back here. So just so you know, but it always it's always intriguing because people are like, hold on, I'm not in jazz. So what do you what do you want? <laughs> but it's it's I kind of the zygote split with me. Like once I got into pod match, it turned mm-hmm. into a segment with everybody. But I've done jazz radio since 2011. So it's uh, I, I well, love I was it. listening to the jazz podcast and I'm like, I read that you want these other things. And I'm like, well, I don't have a big jazz story. You, you want to interview my husband? He's fantastic. <laughs> I'm waiting for I'm waiting for someone to just come up with a fictional jazz story for me that is so magnanimous we can write a script and make a movie out of it. (laughs) Although listening to the jazz podcast, honestly, I started to think about the way that I do mindfulness for therapy. Um, I could describe what that is. And I started thinking about the role that music has in healing Mm -hmm. and not healing. A lot of people that are really deep into the art talk about how healing it is. But I also hear music. Music brings out, I happen to be a musician um, and it 
brings that emotion in people, in the artists. And sometimes the emotion can be really, really dark. And there, I think there's a positive aspect to it, but it could be negative or positive. And so it really got me thinking about, wow, people that connect heavily to music, this might be a really good way, a, a blend of using mindfulness for healing instead of mindfulness. Okay. But my whole shtick is that mindfulness as wonderful as it is in many, many ways, all the research is behind it, a big fan, but it can be used to avoid and it can be used as a suppression technique. Oh my gosh, I feel bad. You know, the beach, the waves, I have to do that. And um, so what I do is teach people how to use it to go into the feeling to heal. And so I was thinking, well, music brings up the feeling when I was young and didn't know how to deal with feelings if I was having a really hard time, I was playing Beethoven, like Beethoven's my angry music, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I'm like, wow, if that facilitates uh, expression, then the mindfulness could then be used to go in and look at what's bad and work through that. Absolutely. So it's, it's interesting. Got it me is thinking. interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting how it cross pollinates. So let's get to the crux of exactly what you do as a mindfulness ninja. And I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of third grade students. One of the kids looks up career day and says, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer them? I teach people when they're feeling bad, how to not run away, but fix the feeling. We're going to paint it. We're going to make it so we can see all of it. And when we see the feeling, then it turns happy again. So when you were in the third grade, what was your dream? What did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> um, I knew at that time that I wanted to be a therapist or an actress, but actresses have to take off their clothes. This is my thinking in elementary. Actresses have to take off their clothes, and I'm not doing that. So clearly, I'm going to be a therapist. Yeah. Um, now I'm both. I like to act in community theater. It's a wonderful thing. But when I became, when I was in my late teens and it's time to pick a um, major for college, I remembered that I thought I was going to be a therapist and I'm like, get close to feelings uncomfortable. No, like why, <laughs> you know? And so I'm like, clearly that's not going to happen. And years later, I spent years in existential crisis trying to find the answer that God already gave me, right? What do I do? What means something to me? And feelings, of course, were uncomfortable. But as I was growing, I've always been a grower. And as I was growing and exploring, I don't even know how it happened, but there was a day when it hit me and it was like a revelation. Oh, I'm going to be a therapist. And I went back to school. Right on. So let's go back into your childhood. Where were you born and raised and how did these seeds get in you to want to act and to want to get into therapy? Oh, uh, well, I was born and raised in suburbs of Baltimore, uh, East Coast. And I honestly don't know, to me... I don't have a good satisfying logical answer. And the funny thing is I was not always super into spirituality and stuff like that. I wouldn't speak that way. I would use words like intuition, but it's just things that I knew. I was in elementary school being so happy that we're doing a play. And then um, I remember being sorely disappointed to find out that middle school was coming and they did not have a drama team. And I was going to have to wait until high school to do theater. Like it, it was just like in my bones, right? My mother was a musician. She's a classical pianist, amazing. And that's that was a wonderful gift to teach me. But my heart lies with theater. And um, the psychology, I think it's just something in the way I think. I think I was gifted some things that was going to facilitate this. 
but I didn't know. It's just, again, it was just handed to me an intuitive thing that I denied and then got back to. And to the point where my parents had six kids and my dad used to call me his little psychologist. I actually, maybe you could call that seed, but I feel like that came later, like middle school when he would be like, Hmm, just because the way I thought and responded to things seemed to be different from my five siblings. So, so who's, who's been a hero for you in your life? <laughs> oh man, you ask great questions. I got to tell you, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> you don't have any questions that I can give you like an easy, quick answer to. Um, so we'll get I, there. I, I will get there. I'm going to start a, a, a securitist route. So therapist, uh, let me say good therapist. Sorry, not sorry. Um, good therapists think of things in terms of core beliefs, not our surface thoughts, but what's our core belief that drives us. That's what really drives us. It's subconscious, although it does bubble to the consciousness. So in, in my master's program, my clinical mentor, I was in a class of hers and I raise my hand. Yeah, I'll go ahead and do this exercise where you're going to ask about an early memory and you're going to, um, you know, and ask me something. And so she asked essentially the same kind of question. Um, it was, it wasn't a hero, but it was like, who did you look up to or who was there for you? And I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. And I'm thinking, well, I'm about to stump her. And I say, cause I couldn't find anyone. And I said, there was no one. And um, I'm thinking I stumped her because, you know, she's expecting an answer. But she says, so you learned from an early age to be self-reliant. Oh, tears. It all just came up. I'm like, oh, my God. That was super emotional. Yeah. So at a really young age, that was hard. But um, at an older age, I came to appreciate how powerful my father's influence on me was. He was not... Um, as a person, he was plenty flawed, plenty flawed. And there were issues growing up and some dysfunction in the house. Um, but he was always a man that tried to live by his principles. And because of that, he grew his whole life. So even though I saw his anger and his flaws and his inability to deal with conflict and, his, you know, like the places where he hadn't grown yet, I got to watch over his lifespan, him grow and grow and Seeing someone live a truly authentic life meant more than him being a perfect parent. And I want all the parents with parent guilt out there to hear that. That meant yeah. a lot to me because I was paying attention. Yeah, that's that's interesting. There was somebody I was listening to in an interview that said the same thing. Man, it's going to come to me. But they were just talking <laughs> about people being authentic and how they can see if somebody's just building a facade. Um, but that that is that's very true. It's very uh, that that's such a good noble way of living your life. Um, let me ask you this: If you can meet anybody alive on the earth right now, who would it be? Uh, oh, oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> my husband. <laughs> I can't, I don't have conventional answers. My That's brain fine. is different. Um, you know what? I mean, I would either meet him and be with him, which I get to do all the time. Yay. Or I might be like you and meet anybody. Um, as a therapist, one of the, one of the great joys of my life is that people that are out in the world in whatever way they are, whatever way they need to pull up a mask to function, to seem normal ish. Um, 
they have a tendency to feel really comfortable with me, a lot of people. And so I get to see people in their authentic state, in their raw state, as, as much as they're able to based on what they can allow. So in a way, I get to have these authentic conversations, helping people go to the deep stuff and to explore and grow. And so I, I suppose I do that all the time um, because I'm just interested in people. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I dig it. No, I get it. Let's let's get to kind of how the inner workings of you work. What is it that motivates you? Every day we get up, we have motivators that pull us through a day. What is it for you? When I started, so uh, the easy, simple answer, here's why I can give you a simple, easy answer. I want to help people. I want the world to be better. What really gets me going is, um, you know, I've gotten better and better at what I do. And once I got into private practice in 2018, this um, all these things that I've been doing, years of meditation practice, years of trauma practice, um, understanding people more deeply, all this stuff, oh, my spiritual work, all of it kind of fell into place. It synthesized and created this thing that I call therapeutic mindfulness, which I teach. And that's what I write about my book. Ever since I started teaching that, there's a much higher rate of people that stop needing me. And when a therapist works herself out of a job, or himself out of a job. That's good stuff. That motivates me. That makes me super excited. So every time it's like, you know what? We're good. I work through the main stuff. I have the tools to move on on my own. And thank you. I'm just like, I'm over the moon. I come down, I bounce down the stairs to my husband. I'm like, guess what? Someone just graduated. Just so happy. That's so excellent. That moves me. And, and, and keep in mind, I haven't fixed everything for them, but the process that I teach is something they can do in between sessions or without me. And when someone doesn't need me, that's, that's gold right there. Emotional gold. Sure. So in your life of all the things that you've gone through, we gain wisdom. Let's say you have a dream tonight. You run into the 20 year old version of yourself and you could give that younger version of you a piece of advice based on the wisdom you've gained in your life to this point. What would you tell your younger version? Listen to your guidance. I know you're not going to learn it for five years because you're a stubborn ass and you think you know shit. Excuse Am I allowed to say this? Though? Yeah, you can um, say whatever you want. Because you're stubborn, <laughs> you think you know things, and uh, and you're pretty smart, but your wisdom is smarter. The guidance from your higher self is smarter, and just follow that. That's it, because she knows what she needs to do. She's just not going to listen for another five years. So what, <laughs> what's been one of the best client success stories you've ever witnessed and been a part of? Oh, gosh. Um, 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 um. Ooh, I'm trying. I'm trying to pick. I'm trying to pick. Yeah, right. Um, I bet there's a yeah. A how much should I do a specific one, or should I do a theme? I you mean, can theme it if you want. Right. There's um, a specific one is a 20 year old lady who comes to me, and she's got really super heavy grief. Her story. Um, I feel like I can share. You know, I'm very loose terms this story because she's already allowed it to be printed in my book and details are changed and all that. But basically she comes to me because a grandparent died and years before that someone else had died. And she she's young, she's working and she just doesn't, she's never learned how to deal with feelings. So it's not super big, not dysfunctional, but she's starting to cry. She cries every day, sometime during the way. It's um, she's not motivated in life and is becoming a depression because she just has never learned how. And she's got six EAP sessions. 
And so I teach her mindfulness. First thing, a therapeutic mindfulness, that version. First thing in between, she practices. And the grief is like, I teach it to her and, I'm, and we go through. And the grief is like this huge boulder that's weighing on her and it's heavy. And so every two weeks she comes to me and we work it a little bit more. And then by the third time I see her, she's like, uh, the boulder is really, I, you know, when it comes up, I do that now. I do the mindfulness and it's really just a pebble now. And we can talk about some other things. And then EAP was over and she was done. Like, that's a wonderful thing is just I taught her a skill that she needed. She didn't have all the super heavy stuff, but, you know, like in terms of, you know, rape and beatings and all, you know, all the horrible lifelong stuff. But she had heavy, heavy feelings, huge grief that was absolutely stopping her from living well. And all she needed was that tool. But the theme one that I would like to share, and this story encapsulates many people that I've seen, many women and some men, is um, when they're in abusive relationships. This is probably something that frustrates a lot of people. When you can see it's abusive, you're like, we, we need to, like, you need to leave. You need to stand up for yourself. You need to do X, Y, Z. And then they go back. Why do they go back? And uh, an Einstein quote really fits here for me because it, it explains everything. You can't solve a problem at the level of consciousness you were at when you created it. They're attracted to that relationship. There's something that has to happen there and they can't get past that until they evolve emotionally. And so this one is deeper work. What I found is abusive relationships when the person is on the receiving um, on the on the end where they're being controlled more and abused more tends to go directly to low self-esteem and low self-esteem is a hard thing to budge however doing really deep work i do emdr as well which is a trauma modality so my favorite two things are therapeutic mindfulness and emdr and i'll use a lot of those and do a lot of childhood work and as they work through the um, emotional wounds of the childhood and they start to see themselves as being worthy of standing up and then the relationships that pull them back they simply lose their appeal they they the person does all the guilt jabs and they're like eh, and it just doesn't hit you know and then when they're lonely they can handle it and we're working through that and the loneliness does not seem worse than going back to the abuse so self-esteem healing that that's one thing that i've seen again and again with a lot of clients so it was kind of the mindfulness ninja, the gatekeeper of helping people out all the time. Let's get to the core of who you are. Everyone has a perception of you, family, friends, clients, colleagues. You're in control, though. You run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Oh, gosh. See, <laughs> you have all these questions that take a lot of thought. Like, how do I answer that? Can I have half an hour and we pause? I come back. Yeah, we'll pause. All we'll right. come back. <laughs> um, my perception of who I am. Um, I'm... I mean, there's personality stuff. I'm feisty. I'm goofy. I'm opinionated. I'm strong. I'm powerful. I'm loving. And at the core, I am, I am a, I'm spirit. I am, I am someone that because of listening to the guidance, I've become open to channeling the gifts, which has opened up my perception to be more loving, open up my perception to see things in a different way. And so there's, my personality, which is a lot of fun, but then there is my purpose, my soul's purpose as given to me. And that's just um, to heal myself and heal others. And that encapsulates 
I think a lot of who I am, especially the goofy part here. We're not hitting the goofy as much this time, but that's, it's, it's major. I love it. It's that, that keeps everything young and fresh for sure. I remember in college, one of my poetry classes, we went around and, um, what what was the question? It was like, who are you or what do you what do you want to be when you grow up or what do you want to do? And her whole answer was, I don't want to grow up. I'm, I just that's the last thing I want to do. I want to stay young, which is good. It's a good thing to attain yeah. to for sure. The other day, the other day, my daughter was telling me I'm weird. That's one of our things at our house is we're all weird. And I'm like, I'm weird. Am I weird? And she's like, yeah. She said, you're so weird. People are jealous. <laughs> <laughs> that's I just, great. <laughs> that could be a quote. That could be a T-shirt. You know, you never know. So, Weird people are jealous. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So Ruth, if anyone wants to hire you, learn more about you, partake in anything re revolving around your world, where can they go? So um, I think the process I'm talking about that uh, where people can do some healing on their own, that is the most important word I want to get out there. I do speaking, I do workshops, and that's on ruthfearnow.com. You can contact me for that. Uh, my last name, Fearnow, is spelled like it sounds, F-E-A-R-N-O-W. So RuthFearnow.com. Um, or if you just want to check out the work and do some of that on your own, it's on Amazon Therapeutic Mindfulness. Got it in hardback, paperback, audiobook coming soon. And then if you want to check out my Facebook and see if I'm going to be doing any events or if I have any announcements, um, then that is Facebook.com slash Calm to happy, C-A-L-M-T-O-H-A-P-P-Y. Excellent. Ruth, this has been great. Thank you for opening up. Thanks for your story. Best of luck with everything. Thank you. And good luck with your podcast and getting that out there. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening. And until next time.